Welcome back to Chosen Conversations. Uh, last week we talked all the way up to the calling of Matthew and such a powerful character in the Chosen series. Um, a character that they've casted so uniquely with either um, autism or on the spectrum, whichever term you like to use. But Matthew is a very intelligent, very detailed-oriented person. Um, he has found himself in a position where he's been alienated from family and from his ethnicity. Um, he's, he's seen as someone who works for the Romans. Um, he doesn't have a lot of friends. And yet, Jesus sees something in him that he definitely needs to be a part of the get-used-to-different team that Jesus is uh, mm. cobbling together. And we don't have all the apostles yet at this point in season one, but uh, we're going to talk about the calling of Matthew tonight. And John Mark, um, tell us a little bit about that estrangeness that Matthew has um, and really his kind of being a loner in a way. Yes, Matthew has several levels of marginalization, right? He is a tax collector, which marginalizes him from uh, his Jewish culture. It aligns him with the Romans. He's somewhere on the spectrum, some sort of autistic sort of thing. Now, we don't know that from Scripture, of course. Scripture doesn't tell us Matthew had any kind of uh, autistic tendencies or anything like that. It's just part of the backstory that creates a deeper sense of marginalization. He is unique in that sense. He's gifted in that sense. Um, so what happens then in telling the story, in order to, to really enter into his world of, of loneliness and his sense of being the outsider, his sense that he's excluded from the temple, he's excluded from family, Shabbat, and we have this scene in the beginning, uh, it's like it's episode two, where Mary is having her Shabbat and Jesus is at her table. And Nicodemus is having his Shabbat and he's with his family and others at that table. And Matthew's own family is having Shabbat. And Matthew actually walks up outside that door and looks in, thinks about knocking, but he knows he's not welcome because he is a tax collector. And so he walks away kind of in, in a deep sadness. He's all alone. And he, his, his Shabbat meal is feeding his dog on the street. And we get a real sense of entering into his world of how lonely he is, how excluded he is. And I think this is one of the ways in which some people can find access to Jesus. They know that experience. They know the experience of being rejected by family. They know the experience of being rejected by their faith or by their ethnicity or by their culture or because of their autism or whatever whatever might be going on in their life. So this is an invitation for us to walk in Matthew's shoes, you might say, and experience what a lot of people do experience, that kind of exclusion, that kind of marginalization. And the highlighted one along with the autism, is I would like to ask David to, to speak into, okay, tax collector. What, what's up with that, David? Why is that such a, a, a negative picture here? Well, here, here in the historical context, it is negative because, uh, as you have mentioned, they look like traitors. They look like you're not part of our tribe anymore. You're with the Romans. 
And not only that, because you're, you're collecting that Roman's taxes, but also they look like cheaters because a lot of tax collectors make their living out of their fees. And some fees are honest. I don't know if there was a standardized fee that the Romans imposed, but we do know that a lot of them were collected more than they were supposed to so they can have higher wages for themselves. So as a whole, tax collectors were seem like the people that are taking from us what they shouldn't be. And they're wealthy. They have status, uh, which is why Matthew acts the way he acts as well, the way he dresses. I remember the scene of them walking out after he's being called out later and how he dresses compared to the others. Uh, they're wealthy, and, and they seem like them, not us. Yes, you're a Jew, but you're with them. You're not with us. Uh, nowadays, is different. Obviously, we have different standards in the economy that we live in, and so it's not the same. Uh, I mean, people that work for the IRS or that are CPAs, uh, we don't steal from the clients. We just follow the law. But back in the day, that little piece of fees that were involved in there were really tricky in how to manage uh, your tax collections and why they could be seen as traitors and, and, and cheaters. But I do know that to be in that position, you do have to be very analytical. You have to know, have, know your numbers and you have to be very observant and attentive to detail. So I don't know if Haley wants to. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. I, I, I like your point about the cheaters. Because I think the the assessment of the taxation was kind of in the hands of that tax collector. Right? It was going to make the assessment. And so he could assess that with a wide berth or he could assess that with an affair. In other words, there's a lot of room for a dishonest person to make a lot of money. And, and we don't know we don't know what spectrum Matthew was on that room. Right. We don't know where he stands. And the Chosen portrays him as a very honest person, a very analytical, number-minded person, but we don't know where he was at. Right. We just don't. But we do know that he was an observant and very attentive to detail person. So I don't know if Haley wanted to uh, talk a little bit more about that analytical mind that he might have. Sure. Well, I love the character of Matthew. Um, he seems very pure-hearted and a good person, though he does have a career in tax collecting, which doesn't make him very popular amongst the people. Um, but he does have a black and white view of the world. Um, he sees things for facts. And when he encounters Jesus and the miracles that Jesus is performing, we see him um, with the paralytic being lowered down. Um, we see him witnessing um, the catch of many fish where the boat almost overturned. And he mentions, you know, how was this possible? It was Matthew's curiosity that triggered him to follow Jesus and learn more about him. Um, and we'll talk further about um, some of the disconnect between him and other disciples, um, them wondering why Jesus chose someone like this to follow him. Well, there was very many unique uh, abilities and things about Matthew that made him unique and special for Jesus to choose him to follow him. Um, we see him um, showing signs of being very detail-oriented, like David shared with us. Um, writing, you always see him in The Chosen, taking notes, documenting what's going on. Um, and you have to wonder, um, did this lead to him writing um, his gospel of Matthew? Matthew is one of my favorite gospels. Um, it's very detailed. I find it very easy to follow and comprehend. And I'm, I love to read Matthew. Matthew is my first gospel that I love to go to. So um, you just have to think this may be one of the reasons why Jesus did choose um, Matthew to follow him. Um, and autistic people are very detail-oriented. They are very... Um, 
attention, they, they pay attention to numbers. Um, they're often very honest. And um, I think that this definitely shows us that God does choose unique people, even those on the spectrum, even those that have disabilities to follow him. Um, and I think that's a very beautiful message that we see portrayed in The Chosen. Haley, I really like what you just said. I was thinking while all three of you were talking that I, I don't know for certain. So someone out there listening to us may know if it's in a direct family member of Dallas Jenkins or if it's a friend or a remote family member. But um, the the character of Matthew being on the spectrum was to include people with autism and those types of of uh, of challenges because he knows someone with that that is on the spectrum that is is like that. And I think when we think about Jesus's inclusion of everybody, and like you just said, he can work through everyone, and everyone has talents and skills that can can be applied. And and I even was thinking while David was talking, Quintus is an interesting character uh, in mm-hmm. season one that he just loves Matthew, but he's so upset when Matthew is no longer available to him because he he loves how his mind works. He, t- he talks about how he doesn't make any mistakes, and he would love to have Matthew, I think, working for him because he's such a he's such an honest uh, character. You know, Quintus tries to joke with him a little bit, and Matthew doesn't really get the joke, but his analytical mind puts forth all the right data, and Quintus just loves it. So I really like how you, you pointed that out, and to, and to contrast what David is saying, Yes, accountants and IRS IRS agents are different today, but we know more about people on the spectrum today than we would have in the first century. So it's almost like the tables have turned a little bit, and there's an inclusion of somebody who people know about today in the way they know about them today, um, compared to tax collectors maybe being only thought of in a 21st century context, which would be inaccurate to the text. So it, it's fascinating that they kind of let them swap positions, if that makes sense. I appreciate what you said about Quintus. You know, I, I think Quintus is still in this for himself. He doesn't really care about Matthew. He, he just likes that Matthew can make this easy for him and make settle the accounts for him. And uh, so he doesn't have to have deal with a mess. Matthew keeps it straight for him. So I, it's still... You know, Matthew's one who's being used in that sense by Quintus. If any, if he has any friend at all, it's it's Gaius, uh, his protector. And uh, we see in the last episode that, you know, he takes the dog that Matthew ate with during Shabbat, right? The his pet, you might say, and delivers that to Matthew's family, and in effect says something to the effect that uh, you know somebody cares about Matthew. So there's some sort of relationship there between Gaius and, and Matthew that um, I think we're going to see more of that play out in the future. But that seems to be the only friend he has, really. The only one who really seems to care about what happens to Matthew. And I know you mentioned Quintus, and, I, and Matthew has a lot of interactions throughout season one with Quintus that are very interesting. I do want to ask something, though, as a learning, maybe people listening are also asking this question. Quintus has two names because he's also called Dominus. Is that Dominus is his title. That's okay. okay. Quintus yes. is his but I thought he was also creator of Judea. Right. Dominus would be like a lord or it'd be the Latin for Lord or Master or you know, something like that. Dominus. Um so yeah, yeah. 
but that could be that's I can see how that would be confusing because you hear both Quintus and Dominus going. You know, well, for someone like for, me, like that doesn't know, and maybe the people listening do yeah. know, but I didn't. I, I was kind of confused why he was called sometimes Dominus, sometimes Quintus, and I do know his title was also the Praetor of Judea. Yeah. So Dominus yeah. is also another title that he had. Right. Well, Dominus is, is just what you would say to someone out of respect who's over you, you know, in any sense. Not necessarily an office that you have, but but you have a, a higher status. So I want to call you Dominus because you're higher status. Yeah. That's it. I'm glad you brought that up, Dobby, because um, this is a way chosen is also a way in which we can learn about the culture and learn about how things worked at that time and how things were connected and, and consequently what what created the disturbances. You know, they're always afraid of some sort of disturbance in the street, right? They're always afraid of some prospect of rebellion. They don't, they want, the Romans want order, not chaos. Chaos means we don't get taxes. Order means we get taxes. So if we have Matthew in his booth, we're good. You know, we got order. And I think, I think to your other comment about Praetor, that's the ranking. So there's the there's the salutation or the or the greeting that would be like sir, but then in like in our military there's there's captain and colonel and you know that that type of thing. So all three of those titles, one's his name and the other two are how people address him. Um, so very astute observation. Yeah, and in those interactions, we also we also the chosen also comes with this background story of Matthew being Peter's or in this case Simon because he's still Simon in the series. Simon's tax collector and how Simon is in debt. We've talked about that uh, in previous episodes. But in this case, we're seeing the Matthew point of view where in his meetings with Quintus, he comes and says, hey, have you talked to Simon? And Quintus says, yeah. And then he says, oh, Andrew as well, his brother? Quintus stops for a second and then says, yeah, his brother too. And then he's assigned to follow Matthew, I mean, sorry, to follow, follow Simon so he can keep good records of what he's doing and if he's trying to pay his taxes on time or not. And through that following, we go into the catch where Simon has been fishing all night, catches nothing. Then Jesus appears. Then the boats, as Matthew tells us on, in The Chosen, almost fell over and they had to jump off them so they wouldn't tilt. And there were two of them. And Matthew could not believe it. He went back and told, back, told that to Quintus. Quintus told them, you were deceived. And then we see him going back to Simon and saying, am I deceived? Simon thought he was coming back for him. And he said, my debts are squared. I don't know why you're here. Matthew says, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the man. Am I deceived? Is this possible? Yeah, Haley, isn't, isn't that curiosity interesting? I know you, you, you've commented on that before. Yeah, he is so curious about who this man is. And that's really what leads him to learn about Jesus. But that's how all of us uh, are, are led to Jesus. Something happens in our life that uh, makes us think there's there's something higher, there's something greater. And your curiosity is what leads you to, to follow him. So we see that through the characters of the chosen. And that's very unique. I, uh, I got a strange feeling when I saw that scene the first time of somebody trying to mathematically compute what their odds were of winning Powerball. You know, like he's sitting there just kind of going, no, this is not that that is statistically impossible for you to have caught that many fish and to settle a debt that was that big with one catch of fish. And I just I, I mean, just it makes you laugh. There's nothing else you can say other than how they wrote it. And of course, like we always remind folks, uh, 
doesn't mean it went exactly like that, but this is another area of Scripture coming alive where something had to happen. Nobody just stoically walked around and here's your catch that pays off my debt, and uh, I can't explain how it happened, and they just went, thank you very much, and I'll write you down as paid. I mean, it's great to bring the emotion and the realism into that situation of just how unfathomable it would have been to have that kind of debt. And remember, it was set up to where he had a deadline and nothing was working the way he thought it was going to work. And they were getting ready to have to be put into debtor's prison. And then this catch happens. And Matthew's just scratching his head going, "It's in, that's not possible. I said black and white thinking that Matthew has, right, that Haley mentioned a moment ago. It's, it's got to be this way or that way. You know, no, I saw it. I, I saw it. But did my eyes deceive me? I, I need to know from you, Peter, did that really happen? What I, you know, can I believe my own eyes on this one? Because it, and as you said, Stan, it's just not computing. So he's so curious about that and so disturbed by it. It's kind of like it's an angst in his soul, right? An anxiety that's created in his soul. You know, this is a new thing that has happened in front of me. And what am I going to do with this new thing? And as you said, Haley, we all have that we all have that opportunity at some point where our souls are disturbed and we have to raise the question, well, what am I going to do with that? How do I handle that? How do I what does that experience mean for me? And, and we have encounters with God throughout our lives where it generates that sort of anxiety, it generates that sort of question in our hearts and minds. And Matthew, he's dogged, man. He's he's going to follow it. I'm going to find out about this. And so he follows him, uh, follows Peter to, to the uh, paralytic incident, where Matthew ends up sitting on a wall with a couple of kids, watching the paralytic, listening to Jesus preach, but then also watching the healing of the paralytic. And when he I love that scene where he's kind of, you know, he reaches over to the kid like he's eating popcorn while he's watching a movie. You know, that, I thought that was brilliant. That was just funny. And, and then he's taking out the notes like Haley talked about and, and writing this down. So what was it about the paralytic thing that 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 jolted him? Do you what what arose out of that paralytic scene? In that scene, you know, there's so much chaos and just so all these people just wanting to see Jesus. Even we see Nicodemus um, trying so hard to see what was happening and, and, and talk to Jesus. And this leads to the disciples having to um, quickly exit Jesus out the back of, of the home um, because the Romans are coming. You know, there's like you mentioned, John Mark, there can't be chaos in the streets. And Matthew runs to find Jesus as well. Everybody's trying to get to Jesus and um, there's a great encounter where Jesus almost senses Matthew. And I think it's so beautiful how Jesus can sense our faith and sense our curiosity. And he turns around and they make eye contact and it's almost like they understand each other. And it's almost a prelude as to what's going to happen when Jesus does say, follow me. And the scene where Jesus asks Matthew to follow him is so beautiful. He basically just goes up to his uh, tax collector booth and says, follow me. Matthew drops everything and just follows him because Matthew has seen the power. He's seen these miracles and he knows for sure this is the real thing, which is so beautiful as well, since he's such a factual based person. I think we can all learn from that. Yeah. And it's that kind of join us. You're going to join us. You're going to become a part of something. You're going to be a part of this group to the person who's been excluded from everything. I mean, that had to be such a powerful 
internal response to somebody wants me. Somebody wants me to be with them. And isn't that what the church is supposed to be? It, you know, in our culture, the church is known for its judgmentalism and its exclusivism more than it is being known for a Jesus who says to a marginalized person like Matthew, come, come be with us, come be with us. And he drops everything. And that, and, and that stands in contrast with, you know, another story we've talked about in the past. But now you, you gave me chills when you, when you brought the church in uh, and gave your uh, overview. It, that scene um, from a different facet does something very interesting for me, and that is that I think Peter thought that it was over and done with with Matthew. Like, that's behind him now. The debt's settled. He doesn't have to deal with that guy anymore. Yeah. And Jesus calls him, and Peter's like, whoa, what in the world? And so Peter does what John Mark just said. Jesus calls him into the church, and Peter says, no, we don't want that guy uh, you know, I was I was happy to be done with him, and now he you're making him one of us. You sure, and he kind of pulls Jesus over. You sure you know who that is and what what you're doing? Um, and then we get the really shocking thing that uh, Jesus does know who it is, and he knows the affluency of Matthew and his family, and he says we're going to have a party that Matthew, as John Mark is saying, is being included and being invited to this, and we're going to have the party at Matthew's house. So how are you going to be the host? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's funny because yeah. when he says that, and when Jesus says, we're going to a party tonight, Matthew says, oh, I'm not welcome to those. I'm not invited. And he said, well, we'll be prepared because you're, you're hosting this one. <laughs> yeah. Won't be a problem this time, Matthew, because <laughs> you're hosting this party. <laughs> what, a, what an astounding thing that you, you go from one moment. I mean, he's, in the, he's in the booth and he looks like he's bored. Mm. He's, he's just collecting taxes and and he's still disturbed and you can you can sense that something's wrong and he sees Jesus walking and and he starts looking at him closely right he's, maybe there's hope there but it's an, a, a total reversal and this is what Jesus does in the gospels it's a reversal here's a person marginalized excluded on the outside nobody wants he's a loner nobody wants to deal with him and then all of a sudden he's the host of a party at his own house and everybody is included at that table. Remember all the different people that are at that table, from you, other tax collectors to to people from the red quarter. You keep you keep jogging my memory about things. You know, Matthew has a little bit of OCD that comes out. You know, he locks the lock several times and does all that. And when John Mark just described that, when Jesus makes eye contact with him and calls him. He tries to do it. He goes and gets his key and gets his little book and starts, you know, doing things. And then he just kind of, you can kind of see him just kind of go, well, forget that. I'm leaving this anyway. And that's when Gaius kind of says, what, what are you doing? What, have you lost your mind? And, and so he just hands him the key to the, everything and just literally walks away. It's the equivalency of the other guys dropping the fishing nets hmm. because he just, he just drops his ledger book, his key to the tax booth. Everything that he normally is very, very particular about the order of operations and how neatly he does that and just says, yeah, I'm going with him. And Peter, Peter's mind's blown that this is happening right in front of him. Uh, so, David, Haley, who, where do you see yourself in this story, the story of Matthew? What, what aspect of the story do you see yourself in? 
I could see myself um, a little bit as Matthew. Um, there's been times in my life where I haven't felt like I fit in or uh, accepted, or we can all relate to differences in ourselves that make us feel not normal or a part of things. Um, but the fact that Jesus always loves us and is always going to invite us, I think is very special. And that's that special bond we do have with Jesus, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, um, he loves you unconditionally. Um, so I relate to that. I also relate to Simon in a way um, by sometimes as humans, we want, we have a tendency to judge others. And, you know, there could be someone at church, um, not saying personally, but that you, you know, might not understand or might not get along with. And we sometimes can question that, but it's important to remember that God has a plan. You know, Jesus chose Matthew for a reason. And it's just a great reminder um, to show that unconditional love to others and and try not to be judgmental. Yeah, I can relate to the being an outsider as well. I moved here for college. And the one thing that remained constant, because I changed cultures, I changed countries, my family, I guess my parents, because now Haley's my family, but my parents are still back in my old country. And the one thing that remained the same was my church family. I, I know, I know I had a family at church. I know no matter if, if I was in Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, or in Nashville, there was a church family there for me, and, and that's what the church is. It's our family, and it welcomes you. And, and once you're welcome in, you're at the table. And maybe the Pharisees are outside saying, hey, why is this foreigner? Why is this tax collector? Why is this red quarter lady here? Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's my family, and they're here with Jesus in this case, and, and all are welcome. Wow, that's a beautiful, beautiful, two beautiful thoughts from both of you. Maybe that's a, it's a good place to, to go out, isn't it? Um, to remember that the story of Matthew is a testimony that God wants to bring people from the outside to the inside. And that but the way we structure human society and we exclude people and marginalize people, God is interested in calling all kinds to into the God's kingdom where they can live in the love of God with each other. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.